This is Wilderness and Wildlife, presented by the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. This is a half-hour program featuring commentaries and interviews with wildlife and wilderness advocates relating to the unique natural environment that we enjoy in the wildlands of the West and all across America. I'm your host, Jay Shell. Our guest once again today is Miles Traphagan, who's Borderlands Program Coordinator for the Wildlands Network. We talked to Miles last week, but we had a lot more to talk about, so uh, welcome back, Miles. Uh, Thanks for having me back, Jay. Appreciate it. Okay. I uh, just wanted to get started by, it's been hot down there in the southwest. You're in Tucson, and uh, it, it gets pretty warm down there. I'm just wondering how the heat has affected wildlife uh, this summer. I've I've heard well, that some plants have been uh, have been destroyed because of the heat. It's been so hot. Yeah, that's what we're really seeing is the effect on the vegetation down here. Um, everywhere you go, you see a lot of dead trees and saguaro cactus, uh, even creosote, um, which is mm. the most adapted desert shrub that there is. Mm. Uh, they're all looking really rusty, uh, mm. kind of this brown color. There's no green on them. Mm. Um, so it's um, this is about as bad as I've I've ever seen it. Mm. Um, but as far as the wildlife, I it's really difficult to say what's going on with that. You know, it's something that um, you don't really see until you know maybe the next year because yeah. you know you don't know you're in a drought until basically you know the drought is you're well into it and it's over. And um, and so you know we'll we'll see what happens next year. Um, but you know on a good note is that I was done and. Um, uh, New Mexico last week, uh, southern part of New Mexico, and I saw really healthy, healthy populations of deer and pronghorn mm-hmm. down there. Mm-hmm. I've heard that rattlesnakes. Uh, I've heard some fish have been affected by the warm water too. Have you had any indication of that? Um, no, because we don't have much surface water here in the oh. Tucson area. Yeah, <laughs> you have to talk to somebody in a more, more well-watered environment to get that info. Yeah. Well, let's get back to the border fence. Uh, does uh, does the border fence constitute? We know it it affects uh, larger mammals, but how about birds or reptiles? Have they been affected by the border fence? Yeah, um, desert tortoise have been because um, you know a tortoise is not very flexible, and yeah. if they are wider than four inches, oh. um, then they're not going to be able to get through. And right. in fact, I've seen. Uh, tortoises in the same locations in the mountains south of here, mm. um, you know, pacing along the the border wall fence. Mm. In fact, we've got a lot of video and, and photos of that mm. happening. Wow! But also, birds are affected by that. Um, birds and butterflies, um, because you know, even though birds can fly, there's yeah. a lot of birds that really don't fly that high. Um, yeah. You know, think about you know quail, for example. You know, they they do that quick burst. And, you know, they might get eight, ten feet up in the air yeah. and then kind of land. Oh, and so um, uh, I've seen a, a lot of birds that, that are just interacting with the, the wall uh, not in a good way. You kind of mm. see them flight towards it, split around, and then and then turn back. So it's yeah. not that they – it's an impossibility like it would be for a larger animal, but it's mm-hmm. definitely a lot more difficult for, for some species. How about roadrunners? Do they get uh, turned back? You know, they would be thin enough to fit through. In fact, I've oh, seen see. roadrunners go through the fence. Oh yeah, uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah. And reptiles? Is the are the um, openings at the ground level? Yeah, they're at ground level, and so uh, they, 
you know, I've seen um, rattlesnakes going through the wall and, of course, lizards. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was over in Poland in September, where they built a border wall between Poland and Belarus, Mm. They had a, a concrete footer that went up about you know two feet above the ground, uh-huh. and then they had these little like looks like they probably molded them with four inch pipe that they called wildlife passages, mm. but they weren't at grade level. They were you know still a foot above the ground. So mm-hmm. um, their situation over there is even worse for the small mammals oh, and, really? mm-hmm. and any reptiles too. How about the uh, the land that's been bulldozed? Is that and so there's I guess a wide open space. Does that constitute a border crossing barrier? No, it's just unsightly mm. and just really destructive. It's, it's really sad to see a lot of these beautiful mountains and buttes that were iconic along the border. Uh, there's a mountain called Fresnal Peak, which is um, near the Tohono Odom Reservation and on the Coronado National Forest, and and they just blasted right through the top of that thing. Uh, just a beautiful pink rhyolite peak which was covered in this yellow lichen and a lot of interesting vegetation along there and they just blasted right through the thing and they mm. they've since you know uh remediated the damage meaning that they they graded the slope so that it was beyond the uh, or it was you know at a, a settle a settling angle of repose is, is what it would be called um as opposed to uh, a lot of these uh, big piles of rubble were at were very unstable. They were beyond that angle, so that you know any sort of disturbance you know could possibly dislodge that and cause um basically an avalanche. Right. Well, in order to build the wall, uh, the uh, back at that time, uh, Trump's Homeland Secretary Mike Chertoff, he secured the ability to override several legislative acts uh, that uh, would have otherwise prohibited the wall. But they they neutralized those. Uh, so I'm just wondering uh, what were those what were those acts? The Endangered Species Act, Migratory Bird Treaty Act. Uh, what others? Well, um, that was the Real ID Act of 2005, and uh-huh. um, and so uh, the Homeland Secretary has the ability to to do that. Michael Chertoff was actually the Homeland Security Secretary under George uh, W. Bush, ah. and, um, and so he was the first to use that waiver uh-huh. authority. And um, so far, I think the number is up to about sixty-eight different laws that oh, have been gosh. waived to do this. And, um, and like I mentioned before, you know, this is an unelected official, political appointee, and so you know, people just really have to look at you know this as an erosion of the democratic process mm-hmm. to um, allow one person just override something with the stroke of a pen. Was there any litigation that resulted from uh, the attempt to override those acts? This has been challenged in court several times. In fact, fairly recently, I believe it was in 2018, uh, that Judge Curiel out in San Diego, he he heard a case uh, presented, uh, I believe it was from the Center for Biological Diversity or the Sierra Club, and his response was that he upheld the law because he said it is not up to the courts to remedy the poor decisions that Congress has made. And, you know, I, I didn't, of course, we would like to see the ruling turn out uh, favorably, mm-hmm. but um, I, I have respect for Judge Curiel as a justice because he um, he basically, you know, he, he went along with what the legal uh, framework would 
you know, allow him to do, as opposed right. to, you know, what the, sometimes we're talking about activist judges. Well, you know, he was, I believe, an Obama-appointed judge, and mm-hmm. in fact, he had ruled against the Trump University, so Trump was forced to pay about $40 million in damages uh, five or six years ago, mm-hmm. and he was the judge, and so everybody expected it to be different, but no, he was a you know, fair and balanced uh, judge. So what are the long-term consequences of the override of these acts? Of, is it have implications for what happens in the future? Yeah, I think it does, because um, every session of Congress, there's bills introduced to codify this and expand this even more. Mm-hmm. In fact, this last Congress, uh, they wanted to extend this to all federal lands. You know, could you imagine that? You know, Look at all the mm-hmm. forest and parkland that exists up there in Montana. Right. Uh, so by the letter of that law, there are those who would like to um, strip all the protections off of all federal lands. Mm-hmm. And that's just uh, simply unacceptable. And I really hope that our elected officials are wise enough not to allow that to happen. So taking a long-term view, uh, what are the most egregious problems with that the wall, with the portions of the wall that exist? The primary problem would be the... Um, loss of wildlife migration and movement mm-hmm. routes, and then uh, limiting the ability of um, species such as the jaguar to disperse up from Mexico and vice mm-hmm. versa, back and forth. Um, you know, anything larger than a jackrabbit uh, mm-hmm. or a gray fox uh, would not be able to navigate through the wall. They would be completely cut off. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the problem there is that, uh, like you said, it's very hot down here. This is September is the hottest year on record, mm-hmm. and then 2020 was our hottest year on record, and you know a lot of animals need to move great distances in order to find water and forage. So um, those are the effects that it's most likely to have on wildlife. But that's very difficult to observe, and so um, we're kind of looking at this um, you know, from 50,000 feet, but mm-hmm. um, it's likely that most of the damage that we see that's going to happen is going to remain unseen, you know, because, you yeah. know, think of a, a sick or starving, thirsty animal. Right. You know, they're going to just go off into the bushes or a crevice and, and hopefully die peacefully mm-hmm. or something. But um, we're not probably going to be able to see those effects until we just start noticing that populations of wildlife seem a little bit smaller. What about Mexican wolves? Uh, I gather there are populations on either side of the wall, but uh, or of the border, but they aren't large populations. No, they're not. Um, I believe the latest count for the Mexican gray wolf in Arizona and New Mexico was uh, standing at around 260, uh-huh. 270 animals. Uh-huh. And then down in Mexico, there's um, about 70 to 80 is the last estimate. Uh-huh. And when we actually have um, seen the border wall have an effect on that. In 2017, a wolf came up out of Chihuahua and did a 600-mile round-trip journey in 32 days. Mm. And it traveled through the mountains and then the grasslands of northern Chihuahua, came up to Las Cruces, New Mexico, um, went down the Rio Grande, and then spent a couple days in Juarez, uh, and then returned to where it came from in the mountains of Chihuahua. Mm. Four years later, a wolf came out of the Gila Wilderness went down to the same location, and then spent three days pacing back and forth along the border wall. That border wall did not exist in 2017, but yeah. it was there in 2021. And so mm-hmm. um, 
And these are, you know, satellite collared wolves and yeah. they, uh, we were able to see those data points. So that's a absolute indicator that, um, this is inhibiting wildlife movement and hence, um, you know, a recovery plan that's been going on for 25 years, mm-hmm. uh, between two countries. So uh, let's move east of uh, El Paso and uh, where the Rio Grande uh, runs all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. So how important uh, to the survival animals is their ability to cross the river and then cross the border? You know, anywhere you go, you're going to have something that's going to be affected by that. Mm -hmm. Um, Fortunately, Texas has about the least amount of border wall. Um, There's some that's uh, going to resume construction here fairly soon, but uh-huh. um, the effects on wildlife there um, are probably less because of the nature of the border wall. There's some there; it's in segments to where things w- may have the opportunity to go around it. There's probably a lot of um, aquatic species and uh, you know, aquatic birds that would be affected by this. And then you also have to include the associated lighting infrastructure and then just the increased traffic uh, that something like that brings because, you know, you've got to build roads to get there and then patrol roads. And so it becomes this this beast that keeps on, you know, having further effects that reach out because of just all the associated infrastructure to build and maintain that. Has Big Bend National Park been affected at all? Fortunately not. Um, uh-huh. It by border wall you know it's you know everything has been affected on the border to some degree um you know big ben used to be a place where you could cross back and forth pretty easily to the other little towns on the other side and there was always you know a pretty good agreement there where you know people could kind of freely go back and forth and um you know, it was like salutary neglect and everybody kind of behaved themselves and stuff and uh, but, um, but you know, there's been an increased Border Patrol presence there, but fortunately no border wall being built. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would really be a travesty. How about the Santa Ana National Wildlife Refuge? Well, there's wall all around it. Um, mm-hmm. Santa Ana uh, still has not had a border wall built there, and so people have really fought to protect that. Um mm-hmm. My only trip down there was in 2017. I went mm. down to when there was a big gathering and uh, event uh, protesting the border wall uh, construction that could uh, take place at Santa Ana. But it was um, Santa Ana and Lloyd Benson State Park were both spared by um, legislation mm. that was mm-hmm. inserted in some uh, language by, by Congress. And then there's Lower Rio Grande Valley uh, Refuge. National Wildlife Refuge. Yeah, and I and I have not been on the ground to see what's going on mm-hmm. there. So um, there's some experts down in the lower Rio Grande Valley that I could put you in touch with that oh, would okay. uh, speak more specifically to that. People who have been involved in this fight for a long mm-hmm. time. Then west of El Paso, uh, across the borderlands, uh, there's Cabrieza Prieta National Wildlife Refuge in both Arizona and California, I guess. Yeah, Cabeza Prieta is off to um, the western deserts of of Arizona, what I call the hot deserts, as if uh-huh. Tucson's not hot. It gets, it's like a, always a gradient of heat here in Arizona. Yeah, Cabeza Prieta, unfortunately, had a lot of border wall construction done mm. um, and very destructive to um, 
uh, fissure sand and gravel just blasted through beautiful mountains, the Tinajas Altus Mountains. Um, it's really good populations of bighorn sheep there. Mm-hmm. And again, that was a situation where you had uh, slopes that very few people could easily climb up. Mm. So it was just simply unnecessary to um, uh, inflict that much damage upon our protected national wildlife refuge. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, and and uh, the Oregon Pipe National Monument is right next door to it. They abut each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, both saw really egregious damage done by uh, blasting straight mm-hmm. through mountains when there was simply no need to do that. Yeah. And then there's Coronado National Forest in Arizona. Yeah, um, there's the Coronado National Forest that's uh, in five distinct uh, ranger districts here. and um, mm-hmm. But then there's also um, the Coronado National Memorial, and that's a National Park Service-managed property, um, mm-hmm. whereas the Coronado National Forest is, of course, you know, the Department of uh, Agriculture, mm-hmm. U.S. Forest Service. And um, the monument was, was really heavily impacted right at the at Montezuma Peak, and so mm-hmm. that's where the Arizona Trail begins. It's a National Scenic Trail, again, that law was waived, um, and it makes you just wonder, like, why do we even have these laws if somebody's going to uh, just be able to bypass them? Right, you know, yeah. that's, um, that's really a slippery slope to fascism right there. Um, but uh, the damage that's been done at Coronado National Memorial is um, that's irreversible. You know, we'll mm-hmm. see that um, throughout the rest of the Anthropocene. Oh, yeah. And then there's Oregon Pipe Cactus National Park. Yeah, that's another um, national monument, and um, and yeah, it had uh, a lot of border wall built. I think there was uh, 25 miles built along Oregon mm-hmm. Pipe, and they blasted through um, a lot of mountains, including one called Monument Hill, which uh, was known to be a, a historical Tohono O'odham burial ground. So, you know, people were typically buried in the in the rocks. You mm-hmm. know. Um, on this hill, and um, to, to really add insult to injury, um, uh, the chairman of the the nation, uh, Tohono O'odham Nation, was was testifying in Congress the day that they were blasting through it, and um, and that was really taken as a as a insult by the tribe, uh, and it directly was. There's no way around it that they actually did that for spite, and so it's mm. it's really unfortunate that the the last guy. Had a lot of really, uh, what I would say, mean people in there who were very mean spirited and, and doing things um, mm-hmm. for very disingenuous purposes. Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah. And then there's uh, moving, I guess, almost to the west, uh, to the Pacific, is Tijuana Slough National Wildlife Refuge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And any damage done there? Um, well, there's a place called Friendship Park that's. Um, on the border, and so it was an international you know, meeting point uh, mm-hmm. that was actually established by um, Nancy Reagan. She wanted to have people on both sides who, uh, you know, for some reason, couldn't come have a place where they could go and picnic together on on Sundays. Um, and uh, and so they uh, raised the binational garden there, bulldozed through that, mm-hmm. and then um, they're right in the final stages of completing a 30-foot border wall uh, in that area at Friendship Park. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and then it's been closed off, too. There's a place called Border Field State Park, and, um, and I grew up right down there on that part of the border, oh. and um, 
and uh, Borderfield State Park, I think, was a former Marine helicopter base. Um, mm-hmm. And now you can't even get access to that. Oh, um, right. And there are numerous places along the border where you, you're not allowed to access that. You can't go down along the border road at Oregon Pipe National Monument anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of Cabeza Prieta, you can't do that. Um, there's a wilderness area, the Hakumba Wilderness. Uh, you can't access that uh, uh, very easily anymore. Why, because uh, they have them roped there. off or, or barriers? Yeah, they've got things gated off, entrances uh-huh. to those. Um, there's a place um, in uh, eastern San Diego County um, in the Otai Wilderness area, mm-hmm. and um, those were have been popular routes for people that like to you know take jeep rides through uh, the mountains there, and um, most all of that is inaccessible. So you start adding up the numbers of how much uh, public land we have ceded to mm-hmm. border security. Yeah, and uh, you know. It's, I remember, you know, Winston Churchill saying, like, we can't cut music and the arts and education uh, during, even during yeah. war, and it's because what are we fighting for? Yeah. And so you ask yourself, you know, why are we uh, doing all this and spending billions of dollars only to seed away 40,000, 50,000 acres uh, yeah. to the public? And who, under whose authority are those barriers in place? Does that Homeland Security? Yeah, that's Department of Homeland Security. Uh-huh. Okay, there were uh, there was an or- a letter sent uh, what about three or four years ago uh, by seventy organizations to the Army Corps of Engineers and to Homeland Security. Uh, was that letter ever re- objecting to the wall? Um, it, was that letter ever responded to? No, uh, there was never any response. Um, oh. And why was the Army? Point. Why was the Army Corps involved? Uh, the Army Corps of Engineers was who let the contracts, oh, and they were in, involved in overseeing the construction of the contractors. I see. I see. Um, you know, to to say, uh, you know, here's an organization, one of the oldest in uh-huh. uh, in the in the U.S. government, it goes back a long ways. You know, built you know a great number of dams. You know, oversaw the Panama Canal. You know, the mm-hmm. building of the Pentagon. You know. Etc. Um, and uh, their lack of oversight at the border wall was just really bad. Um, I think it was one of their most shameful hours. Mm. The Army Corps of Engineers. Um, they could have really minimized damage. I think that they could have had a lot more influence, but but they just kind of you know let them do what what they uh, wanted to do. So now with uh, the Biden administration. Has there been any change in uh, the role that's being played by uh, either Homeland Security or the Army Corps? Well, there's um, mitigation that's occurred, and um, and so there's uh, funds that are uh, out there, and uh, in fact, that's all that sausage is being made right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so there'll be funds that go towards. Um, Restoration projects uh, in places that were impacted by the border wall, and so we'll probably start seeing that uh, take place over the next year. Uh, what organizations have been uh, most active in uh, trying to reverse policy? Uh, in the, and I'm talking about NGOs like yours uh, that have been most active in trying to take the wall down or reverse its impacts. 
Yeah, you know, I wish I could say that we, we would see some um, inertia to remove sections of border wall, um, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but there's been, you know, pretty relentless efforts from uh, Defenders of Wildlife, Sierra Club, mm-hmm. um, Center for Biological Diversity, uh, numerous other NGOs, the Southern Border Communities Coalition, uh, you know, that have been full-time, you know, in this battle. And there's been, you know, successes in, in little places. Um, but, you know, when you've got that uh, tremendous, um, you know, power of the federal government and the the incredible powers that the Secretary of Homeland Security has been given, um, it's pretty hard to um, to override uh, some of that. What what allies do you have in Congress? Uh, we have um, a lot of people who um, who would like to you know see border wall come down and uh, mm-hmm. and 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 you know no more being built. Um, yeah. It's it's amazing. It really falls along partisan lines, but mm-hmm. it makes no logic because. Um, uh, it's just symptomatic of um, the polarization in our, our country because if you go back on public record and look up statements by officials, even mm-hmm. ones within Border Patrol, Department of Homeland Security, um, they have said, oh, the last thing we need is a border wall. That's going to, you know, mm-hmm. what we need is more manpower. We need more technology on the ground. But very few people were um, ever advocating for, you know, huge, expansive border walls. They, what they really wanted was was better resources in the field. And, um, and I, I, I look back and, you know, I could provide a list of names, um, of, of folks who have really changed their tune. And so when you look at that data point, you say, okay, now this is just one more type of, uh, horse to beat on. And that's you know, another, you know, tribal drumbeat, uh, for, for one side or the other. And, and what's so sad is that the people in border communities are the ones that suffer from this. Yeah. The wildlife suffers from this. You know, water courses and rivers and mm-hmm. and the land is, is really the one that's had the toll taken on it uh, with very little effect on actually stemming immigration or solving crisis at the border. Have any of the indigenous tribal groups been involved in, uh, in alliance with uh, what you're trying to do? Yeah, um, the uh, the Tohono O'odham they successfully defended their 63 miles of border. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't have a border wall built there, mm-hmm. and then the Kokopo uh, Nation they are on western Arizona, uh, south uh, west of Yuma. Um, they had eight miles that that they didn't have border wall built on, so they were able to. Um, you know, defend their land. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the tribes have, have had um, some success in this. Do you think that after the 2024 election that there will be a, a government that uh, will be more active in trying to stem the consequences of the border wall? Boy, that's the million-dollar question. <laughs> I, you know, who, who, who can really answer that one? Yeah. Um, I, I'm making some tea now. I could I could tip the cup upside down and read those leaves, but that's all I can offer you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, we have run out of time, so uh, I I really appreciate the chance to talk to you and uh, get this message. Although it doesn't look too uh, too promising in the future, but I guess we'll keep our fingers crossed, huh? 
Yeah, you know, and, and you know, up in your neck of the woods, I'd love to get up there to Bozeman sometime again. Um, uh, preferably maybe July, <laughs> people uh-huh. want to, to get out of this heat. But um, but I, I think the people up uh, north should realize that um, if the Secretary of Homeland Security wanted to waive the laws and blow up all the mountains and peaks mm. along Glacier National Park and Waterton, mm. uh, they have the authority to do that. This is all the U.S. borders. You know, they wow. could drain the Boundary Waters Canoe Area if they wanted yeah. to, and that's no exaggeration. So, um, uh at some point, um, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, somebody had the idea to build border walls between mm. the U.S. and Canada. Um, mm. So I, I think everybody in the country re- remain, you know, needs to remain vigilant mm. and uh, defend our conservation legacy, which has um, been a role model for the rest of the world. Miles, thank you very much. So uh hope we can talk again when things are looking brighter. Anytime. Thank you, Jay. Our guest today has been Miles Traphagen, the Borderlands Program Coordinator for Wildlands Network. This has been Wilderness and Wildlife, a presentation of the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. To hear more of these half-hour interviews, go online to js-wilderness.com and see additional features of our website. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Jay Shell.